2: And without further ado, let's begin. These events occurred two summers ago in the Grand Teton area. So my boyfriend at the time, now husband, I'll call him H for this particular story, was an avid outdoorsman and also served in the military. I was an ecology major and wanted to spend more time outdoors so he decided to take me on my first backpack and just the two of us. For those of you who aren't familiar the Grand Tetons are well known for their wildlife specifically grizzly bears too. My only experience with bears up to this point was watching a little black bear cross the road from the safety of my car. Seeing grizzly country signs around every corner wasn't doing much to help my nerves for sure but anyway On to the first incident. So my boyfriend looked like Indiana Jones, machete hanging from his belt, large knives attached to each side of the pack, bear spray strapped to his waist, you get the picture, but the beginning of our 25 mile journey was all uphill and when in bear country you're not supposed to make too much noise as to not startle the wildlife by accidentally sneaking up on it. And as you can imagine going uphill while carrying a 40 pound pack makes it pretty difficult to make conversation. We were an hour in though and almost at the top of the ascent when I noticed that the woods had just gone completely silent save for the rushing stream that was to our left of the trail. Silent woods from my experience are never a good sign, this usually indicates predators nearby and at this point I was in front of my boyfriend and we were about to crest the hill. For the past 20 minutes, we had not said a word to each other, having been too tired to speak. We noticed the silence at the same time and we gave each other a sort of knowing glance. I came up over the top of the hill and I immediately froze. Sitting, not even 10 feet in front of me, in the middle of the trail, was a grizzly bear. My husband wasn't aware yet as he was behind me, so... I did the first thing that I could think of, still in my frozen stance I managed to take my arm and started flinging it wildly behind me trying to get H's attention, I was too terrified to speak and the bear went from sitting to all fours not looking away from us once, H quickly swung me around so I was behind him and he just started yelling, being in the military he knows how to yell and the grizzly wasn't quite fazed by it, as it started to slowly walk towards us. At this point, I was on the verge of passing out from terror. This bear was about five feet in front of us when we heard a a loud crack coming from the woods to our right. The bear heard it too, and then he just bolted towards the stream. A second crack boomed again, this time much closer than before. H said that it's probably just some falling branches, but I think we both knew that that wasn't the case. At this point we were walking quickly up the trail in an attempt to create some distance from the grizzly and also those strange noises. I felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand straight up though and at that same moment each stopped moving in front of me. He turned around to look at me and I turned to look behind me and to this day we are not sure what we saw back where we were standing was a a large black or brown mass is the only way I could describe it. It looked to be three times bigger than the already large grizzly that we had seen just a few moments before. Its back was facing us and, and it stood on its back legs and it looked similar to a bear but something about the shape of it was just off. At this point it was probably stupid to run away but this is exactly what we did. We were aware of heavy footsteps behind us, but neither of us looked back. The footsteps eventually faded, and I was a complete mess afterwards. H was doing his best to console me. Honey, this is extremely unusual. The bears usually stay away from humans. We're going to be okay. I'm sure that won't happen again. And that was enough to convince me to continue on the backpack. Not another hour later though, we reached a clearing where we decided to take a rest and eat a snack. About a minute after we'd sat down, I noticed bushes moving in a line toward the clearing, towards us. Out of the brush comes this adolescent grizzly who looks just as spooked as I'm sure that we did, but he came straight for us. H being the crazy nut that he is too decided to charge back at the bear while screaming bear spray at the ready and luckily that did the trick and the bear just ran off. All I could think of though was just my luck but that wasn't even close to what happened the second night. So before we began our backpack we had to let the ranger station know which trails or route we planned to take With this information, they usually send a ranger on horseback at some point during the backpack just to check on you and to make sure everything is okay. There were not many approved trails left for us to choose from and it was just our luck that they were the difficult ones. And apparently over the three days that we were on those trails, we had been the only sole hikers there. We didn't see a single other person once we were on route too, which is important. Anyhow, I guess we missed the ranger who came to check on us we'd been following hoof prints the entire second day and we hadn't seen any the day before i had some foot problems so we spent valuable daylight trying to adjust my boots laces and socks to compensate for the pain when we started on the trail again we had maybe uh, an hour or two of daylight left let me tell you that in the woods it gets dark quickly i was exhausted too it was dark out, and H was the only one with a working headlamp, as mine wouldn't even turn on for some reason. We needed to find somewhere to set up camp, as we still needed to eat, and it was freezing, and the wind was blowing. It was creating a sort of howling sound as it rushed through the trees, which made it difficult to hear H or discern any of the sounds coming from the woods. After another hour of hiking through the dark, we eventually found a clearing. Well, it was more like a bowl, I would say it looked to be about 200 meters in diameter if i had to guess with the sides being about 10 meters down from the trail to the bottom of the clearing and this place was really strange we both felt it too though he didn't tell me how freaked he was till after we had left there was no moonlight so all we had was the illumination from his headlamp our small camp stove and the flashlight that i fished from my pack Half of the trees were dead or fallen, just in the bowl. The vegetation everywhere was very dense. But to help alleviate my anxiousness, he started playing ninja sex party out of his portable speaker. This didn't help much, quite honestly, as it just echoed off the trees, creating a a dissonance of sounds. He also thought it would ward off any predators nearby. And I think this is when we knew that our anxiousness wasn't paranoid. At some stage though, the silence came back. There hadn't been a single bird chirp since we arrived at the clearing. It also may have had something to do with the obnoxious music, I admit, but because of our previous experience, we decided to turn off the music and head into the tent. Also, I really want to emphasize that it was freezing. As soon as we were situated in our sleeping bags, we began hearing deep cracks and thuds echoing from behind the tree line falling trees I thought. There had been a lot of wildfires not too long ago and very little rain this season so it was possible. But then we heard a thud and whatever it was it was big. We both rose because that sound definitely wasn't an echo. It came from inside the clearing and definitely not a falling tree. Then... We heard another thud, this time closer and much more loud. It came from right outside of our tent and we both stopped breathing at this stage. H's hand found mine and we clung to each other paralyzed when something dragged across the outside of our tent making an indent as it went along. It was thin, almost like a a finger maybe. I whispered, shaking. What is it? I don't know. There shouldn't be a person. We're the only ones on the side of this mountain. I was trying my hardest to stifle sobs, trying to listen to what was outside. I could hear steps but couldn't decipher what it was. The steps stopped and then the whole side of the tent was slowly pushed inwards. At this point, whatever was outside knew that we were in there so I shined my flashlight at the side of the tent and What I saw made my blood run cold. It was the shape of a human face pressed into the tent wall. I could make out the nose and an open mouth, and each time they breathed, it made the tent around their mouth billow in and out. H said, fuck that, and pulled a glock from his sleeping bag. He cocked it, and the sound shattered the silence. The face pulled back, and we heard fast footsteps heading towards the edge of the clearing. We sat there just frozen in fear, listening for everything and every movement. We didn't leave the tent until the sun was shining the next morning, and the first thing that we noticed was the smell of urine. We came out of the tent and looked around, and whoever it was had peed on our coals that we had left in the fire, leaving a a disgusting stench of evaporated piss. Footprints surrounded our tent, circling around multiple times, muddy handprints decorated the outside of our tent and we think it was mud anyway but who really knows. After this experience we cut our trek short and we made our way back. We informed the rangers of what had happened and we obviously didn't tell them well everything because we would have sounded crazy but we told them that we thought that somebody was out there. I guess the takeaway though is that wildlife probably isn't the most dangerous thing in the back country
0: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
2: This happened three years ago, but requires some background. My best friend and I grew up in a sleepy wannabe New Jersey, Central Florida town, and we were the outcasts. We had met in 6th grade when I ever heard her talking to another classmate about bionicles and my 11 year old self's passion at the time. But we became fast friends and soon were inseparable too. Soon began the gauntlet of sleepovers, birthday parties, and family gatherings. But We were practically siblings. She was the first person that I'd come out to as bisexual and in turn I was the first person that she told about being trans. Her home life was uh, tumultuous, though I can't say mine was any better. In fact, we often had a habit of taking refuge at each other's houses. Like I said, we became like siblings. Now, her father was an alcoholic, strict and prone to physical discipline. Her sister was a stuck-up girl who soon gravitated towards the hicks and the jocks when we entered high school. And her mother was a pseudo-vegan hippie love child held over from the 80s. When I was 23, herself 22 at the time, we had another long night of sleeping over in order to let her escape yet another fight with her mother. She had recently lost a job at Walmart and I was going into my first shift at Taco Bell the next day. On the drive home the next morning, she excitedly told me that since she now had her own vehicle, she would be applying at pizza places that were in need of a driver and I was proud. It was the first time she hunted for a job on her own as I'd usually been the one to coax her to apply where I was working, not that she ever lasted very long. But anyway, my first day of training goes by quite well, my coworkers are friendly and try to get me to talk more, my manager likes to playfully embarrass me, a fat white guy, by trying to get me to talk hood to the other workers. Being a training day, it wasn't a very long shift but I'd been up early in anticipation and this was my first day on a job in a few months. I got home around noon and informed some of my internet friends that my first day went well and around 5pm I started to bed down, drained from a good day. As I'm preparing to lay in my bed, I get a stream of messages, her lamenting another fight with her mother and asking if she could come over. Now I had started to grow a bit weary of the fights on their end. I had begun to repair my relationship with my family and a few friends as well and I had given her advice many times on how to better approach things and in my infinite wisdom and eagerness to sleep I left the message on read and drifted off into slumber. Around 8pm I am awakened by her bursting into my room in a panic. Having just been ripped from a dream, I'm groggy and disoriented. I drag myself to the bathroom to relieve my bladder and come back to my room, finding her rocking back and forth on my bed. It's at this time that I notice that she's covered in blood, so I ask what happened. She informs me that she just saw someone murder her mother with a knife. My mind goes blank, and in the deepest parts of my mind, alarm bells start ringing. Isn't the rocking back and forth a bit over dramatic? Why didn't she call the police? But this is my best friend. I've known her for over a decade now, and we were the only two people in the world that we could count on. So I suppress it, and I go and inform my sister and my stepfather. My mother had passed the year prior, and it was roughly a month to the anniversary of her death. We were all in a dark place, antisocial as always. It was the only way that we knew how to handle the emotional issues. When I informed my family... They immediately go to the same place as I had, though they're far more vocal about it. I offer excuses, I knew myself were flimsy, and I return to my room, phone in hand. I convinced her to call the police, and I can hear her explain the details over the phone a man in a black ski mask. When the cops arrive, she swears up and down that it's most likely her father. They send cars over to check the crime scene and take her in for a statement. I ride with her in the back of the cop car over to the sheriff's office, it gets to be around 2am, her sister was brought in as was her father, I have work the next morning and so I request to be taken home by a police officer. It takes me a while to go to sleep that morning and the next day at work I'm really quiet until my manager asks me what had happened, I inform him but decide to work the rest of my training shift. When I get home, my sister informs me she had confessed. Her mother threatened to kick her out for not being able to find a job, and in a rage, she had taken a kitchen knife and stabbed her repeatedly. My mind froze like a a bad computer, and I turned to face my monitor. I was in a Discord call at the time, and all I could weakly say is my best friend confessed to murdering her mother before hanging up and just laying on my bed. Her last trial was the 7th of this month. I don't know the results, though my grandmother tells me that she took a plea deal for life in prison rather than the death penalty. I must admit that a part of me wants to contest that, to demand that they take the death penalty for ridding the earth of such a peaceful and caring woman's shadow. A larger part of me, though, is just glad that she's being punished at all. This is probably the scariest thing to ever happen to me in my real life. It happened to me a couple of months ago while I was sightseeing the west coast. I was visiting a small quiet beach town in Oregon called Newport. It's basically situated on a cliff and then down below is the beach. The beach itself is basically empty and it is huge. It goes for endless miles and seems like something out of a movie. Quite honestly I've never really seen something so vast in my life. Anyway I had spent most of the entire day on the beach and when it got dark I climbed back up the cliff to where my car was. I had originally planned to sleep on the beach in a tent that I had brought but it was starting to rain so I figured that I would just sleep in my car. I'd been traveling all over OR and CA for the last month seeing national parks and stuff and sleeping in my car most nights anyway and this was literally the perfect quiet little beach town so I figured no big deal. I got to my car which was parked in this public lot for beachgoers at the top of the cliff but next to my car was this sign that said no overnight parking that I hadn't seen before so I figured dang I guess I'll just go find another spot close by. So I looked on the maps on my phone and saw that 10 minutes away on the outside of town was a nature preserve. As I mentioned earlier I'd been staying at national parks and stuff so I figured that that would be a nice place to stay but the weather was beginning to get significantly worse too, and I figured that I should hurry. I drove pretty fast, and by the time that I got there, it was completely dark and stormy. I entered the nature preserve, which was a single road that followed the cliff line on the coast for a couple of miles, with nothing but trees on one side and the beach on the other, and no cars, no house, no building, no people for what seems like forever. As I drove down the road a little ways, I began to feel a little uneasy, It all seemed a little creepy and I felt really alone, but the moon was shining bright through the clouds and the beach was visible, so I figured that I should be all right. I found a great peak spot on the cliff overlooking the beach and decided to back my car up on it and take a rest. I opened up the back of my jeep and climbed in and eventually I fell asleep. After a few hours, I woke up. I wasn't sure what had woken me up, but I was awake now By this time, the storm had turned into a full-blown monsoon. I could barely see out of my windows. The rain was so thick, but I could hear the waves of the ocean below crashing against the beach and whatnot. And the wind was blowing so loud that my car was actually shaking. When I noticed water was pouring in through the cracks of my jeep, and I tried to reach for my phone so that I could turn the light on, but I realized that I left it in the front of my jeep, which was blocked off by all my luggage, And the only way to get to it was to open up the back and step outside. And I was about to open the latch to let myself out when I heard it. Laughter. It sounded like a a child at first playing, but soon I realized that it had to be someone much older. They had to be close to the car too because it was raining so hard that there's no way that I could hear it if it was far away. At first, I figured it must be a cop trying to tell me to move on, but then again it had to be like 3 or 4 in the morning, and why would they be all the way out here in the weather anyway? I froze to listen, and then I could tell that it was actually getting closer. I obviously wanted to look up and see what it was, but the way my jeep was parked was backing up to the end of the cliff facing the beach, and my luggage was literally stuffed all through the rest of the vehicle blocking all side and front windows. I was crammed way in the back so at the time I was literally trapped and could only see out of the back window and it was at that moment too that I realized just how helpless I was. Her voice grew louder and louder and I could tell now that there was no way that this was a cop. She was laughing hysterically like at the top of her lungs almost screaming by the steady increase of volume, I could tell that she was definitely coming up to my car, and then in between laughs, I heard a creepy voice say, oh, Well, 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 what are you doing all the way out here? And at that, my heart dropped. I sat there, frozen solid. I didn't want to move. I remember thinking to myself, This is not happening. This can't be happening. But it was. With the storm raging outside my car, my phone being nowhere in reach, me being trapped in the back of the jeep with no easy exit on the edge of a cliff in the middle of nowhere, with a maniacal laughing woman getting closer and closer, I was literally living in a full-blown horror movie and the only thing that I could do was wait. I sat there for a few moments and then that's when I saw her. I had poked my head up just a bit to see out of the tiny space of the visible window that looked to the side of my vehicle, and about 10 feet or so from the jeep, I could see through thick rain and heavy fog, a woman standing there, facing, not me thank god, but the edge of the cliff towards the beach. Her arms were flailing up and down rapidly like a bird, and her head was switching increasingly fast all over in irregular patterns, her clothes were ripped and her voice was broken And I mean, she literally looked like the zombies on The Walking Dead. I couldn't move. Literally all the fear was built up in my head of what the source of this hysterical laughter may be coming from in that true moment. I tried rationalizing the situation to myself like she's on drugs and has lost her mind or this is someone joking or literally anything, but every time I tried I would peek up and see this as something just unexplainable. I mean, it made no sense. How the hell would someone be out here in what I'm pretty sure was a Category 5 monsoon, miles away from anything, no car, freezing temperature, standing up, screaming in the dead of night? I found it hard to believe myself, but there she was. She kept laughing hysterically, shaking her body all over as if she was fully possessed. I couldn't understand what word she was actually shouting in between the laughs, but it sounded demonic, and I was truly mortified. By the grace of God, I ended up finding a significantly large hunting knife stowed away in the bag next to me in the back of the jeep, and after taking one last good look at the bewildered wild devil witch woman, I decided that it was time to say a prayer and try my best to sleep. I honestly don't know how I managed to do that. I don't think I got much in the end because if I remember right, she probably stayed there for another 30 minutes howling at the moon, but... Somehow I did and the next morning when I woke up, I slowly stepped out of the jeep, knife in hand of course, and I looked around and there was nobody there. It was almost as if it had never even happened. The sun was shining now and the beach was calm. It was just me and me alone. And it was time for me to get the hell out of here.
0: Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
2: This story happened slightly over 20 years ago, back when I was 16. During this time, I lived with my mom and stepdad in a remote area, 70 miles west of Las Vegas, Nevada. So I had gone out to visit my friends, being allowed to drive myself for the first time ever. I had a lovely time watching a movie and getting food together until it was time for me to head home. The curfew I was given was 10pm with the caveat that if I was running late for any reason to find a payphone and call. The night wrapped up around me and my old 71 Chevy pickup as there were no street lights or houses for most of my way home. As I pulled up for the first two of the stop signs I could see an older sedan, old cars are still pretty common in that area, stopped with its hazards on. I pulled up behind it and waited as a a man in his 30s or 40s started walking towards me from the driver's side. Even at this point, I didn't have any alarm bells going off. Being in the middle of the desert providing assistance to stranded people was pretty common here. People rapidly get into severe problems there, but not having enough water when a vehicle breaks down or not realizing that, well, it's a desert, people die wandering delirious away from the highway trying to find help so it was pretty common to stop and help others. Anyhow, I rolled down my window and as he came abreast to my door, I could immediately smell the liquor of him. I could also see another man in the passenger seat and as this was before anyone that I knew had cell phones and the nearest payphone was like a good 10 minutes drive ahead, I didn't have a way to call the cops on a drunk driver immediately. But the man explained that his car stalled and asked if I could help them out. I asked if his car was a stick shift which it was so I asked if he was familiar with push starting it. He said yes so I agreed as gently as I could to push their car with my truck while they turned the engine over. For anyone that isn't familiar with this it's a way to start a manual car that's having a battery or starter issue specifically to get it somewhere to work on it. I knew my truck would be fine and I didn't feel like it would be wise to get out and try and push their car physically and push-starting the car worked without a hitch, but here's where things went south. They get back out and they thank me, then they invite me to hang out and have some fun with them. I decline, obviously, and they pull off to the side of the road and I continue on my way, but then they start following me. So here I am, it's really late, I'm running late because I stopped to help them. Admittedly I hadn't given myself much leeway from leaving my friends but these drunk creepy older guys have started to follow me on a road without any man-made light except for car headlights and I'm at least 10 minutes away from any payphone. I think to myself maybe I'm just being paranoid so I turn down a road that I know gave me a couple of turnoffs to either head back to town or loop around to the gas station with a payphone. And the car follows directly behind me. I'm now thinking, crap, I could be in trouble, so I take another turn that only leads to a couple of houses at the end of the road and they turn behind me. I take another turn to loop around back to head to the station and they follow again, so at least I know now that they're definitely following me and not just heading home. At this point, my heart is pounding and I decided to try something to lose them. I pull to the side of the road, and I see them pull up behind me. I wait as the driver gets out of the car and begin walking towards me. His companion also gets out and starts walking towards me as well. I wait until they almost get to the tailgate, and then I floor it. My wheels dig into the rocks and flick dirt everywhere, causing a cloud behind me, and with the lead way, I head towards the gas station. When I get there, the gas station is deserted, but the payphone is showered in the light from the gas pumps. I call home and explain what happened and why I was running late. My stepdad asked if the gas station worker could be seen, and I let him know that I couldn't see him behind the counter. He was probably in the back. I wasn't in any trouble, but I was asked to hurry home quickly. In the end, I got home safely, which I'm very thankful for. And while I don't know exactly what those two guys were up to... I'm pretty sure it was no good. So, I was a patient of Larry Nassar. While my story is not even comparable to his victim stories, I still find this incredibly creepy to look back on. I don't really tell this story to many people because some have thought that I'm lying or just wanting attention, which is so far from the truth anyway. I was a freshman in high school. My orthopedic surgeon referred me to Larry for him to look at my hips to see if my issues were hip related. My mother came with me to this appointment and when we came into the room he introduced himself to both of us. He had a team of interns with him too and I remember him feeling my hips and my buttocks and just being overall kind of touchy. Obviously he was there to look at my hips so he had to touch me to examine them but he seemed to kind of touch and grab my butt more than necessary. He also had me get up and walk so that he could examine my movements. I could feel his eyes on my butt the whole time, but again, he was examining my hips, so how do I really know what he was doing? He did a couple of adjustments though with my hips and then sent us on our way. The moment that strikes me the most though when looking back on this appointment is that when my mother and I stepped out of the room I looked at her and said I don't ever want to see him again. My mum remembers this moment too because she could see how strongly I felt about not seeing him again. Looking back it's kind of crazy that my young self felt like that. My intention too is not to discount the victims in any way and I'm really unsure how to tell this story without sounding arrogant or offensive. When I learned, though, that he was charged with all of these assaults, I was shocked to say the least. Everything did make sense, though, when I looked back at that appointment. I think about the other girls often, and I hope they found peace and strength in their healing. As for Larry, I hope he rots in hell. This was maybe five or six years ago now. So after meeting with a couple of friends who were stationed near the bar, my friend Robin and I decided to end girls' night early at 1am. I'm horrible with street names too, so bear with me. We went to Rocket Bar, so you know it was near there, but we got in the car and started pulling out. We're driving a bit slow because we're not too familiar with the area, so we didn't want to miss any turns. I had the window rolled down because when I drink I get a bit flushed, The streets that we were on though were a bit dead at the time but then we heard a yell and some really loud ass crying. It was clearly a lady's voice so we slowed down to see what was going on. Robin was driving and I was in the passenger seat. On our right we saw this lady stumble out of the street holding her chest and crying. Robin locked the doors and cautiously rolled my window up leaving only an inch open and thank god that that happened. The lady came right up to my window and said I need help. I asked what's wrong honey. She kept repeating I need help just over and over again. Me being a naive idiot put my hand on the door like I'm about to open it only to be grabbed by Robin whispering don't open that door. The lady who had been mumbling I need help repeatedly like she was slurring saw Robin stop me And her eyes opened wide as hell and she started yelling, I need help, let me in. We started yelling stop that and the lady started yanking at my door handle and Robin said, oh hell no and we started pulling away. I shit you not too, the next 30 seconds were terrifying. The lady yelled to someone, they're leaving and we saw two guys run out from a car parked a few cars behind us on the right. Robin sped away like a scene in an action movie. We looked in a rearview mirror and saw the three of them standing in the street. And the moral of this story is please be careful. I can't imagine what would have happened to my dumbass if it weren't for my friend that night. I know it's in a lot of us to want to help other people, but there's a lot of people out there who disguise themselves to do us harm. Be aware of your surroundings and lock your doors in DC. Because, like me, it may just save your ass one night. What comes to mind when you picture the perfect roommate? One who comes when you call? One who doesn't forget to lock the doors? One who doesn't steal your milk just a little bit at a time, hoping you won't notice? At Apartments.com, they understand that. When it comes to roommates, a pet can be your best bet. They're easygoing, eat what you serve them, and never clog the toilet. That's why they have the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet. And with instant alerts, you'll know the moment your perfect pet-friendly place becomes available. So, when you need a place that's pet-friendly and human-tolerant, check out Apartments.com, the place to find your pet-friendly place. Before I begin, yes, I made a lot of dumb decisions. Yes, I should have probably called the police, but here it goes. So, when I was around 15, I lived alone in a two-story house. Although there were bedrooms upstairs, I would always sleep on the living room couch. This was for two reasons. One, it was the central location of the house, so I could hear everything. And two, it was actually equidescent from every exit. So one night, at around 2 in the morning I'd say, I heard somebody jiggling the front door knob. It was a slow, cautious jiggling, like they were trying to not be heard and when the door didn't open, they didn't stop. The jiggling slowly became less cautious and more irritated. They persisted for at least two minutes. They then went to the back door, which was also locked. I didn't want to call the police because I was an unemancipated minor living alone. I didn't want to be placed in foster care and I didn't want my parents in trouble for neglect. Eventually though the jiggling stopped and I stayed up that night waiting for them to try other entrances but nothing happened. A few nights passed and I woke up to the sound of a door opening upstairs. The doors in the house would really stick so they took a lot of force to open and when you pop them loose they made a kind of loud scrape or a pop or shutter noise kind of thing. At the time I was actually taking sleeping pills as well and it made it hard to fully awaken And at the time I would also sometimes only awaken with sleep paralysis so that meant that I couldn't quite determine whether or not I'd dreamt the sound or whether I'd actually awoken from it. I started to fall back asleep and I thought that I heard the doors close like grinding of wood rubbing together and then the sound of bed springs screeching like the weight was being shifted. I thought that maybe somebody is homeless and they thought that this was an abandoned house I was super tired and wasn't even sure if I was actually conscious and I definitely wasn't thinking straight but eventually I fell back asleep and I awoke to the feeling of somebody watching me. They were stairs parallel to the living room door and I could see them from the couch. Halfway down the stairwell I could see a, a long haired man crouched over just looking at me. It was dark and I felt like we were both just trying to verify what we were seeing. I kept a metal baseball bat by the couch and I grabbed it. Slowly the man erected his body and without turning just backed up the stairs. I just listened for him to leave or waited for him to come back down but I heard neither. It was like he just stood at the top of the stairs waiting for me and I didn't go back to sleep that night. I heard nothing even until sunrise. And when I left for school that morning, I really questioned what I'd actually experienced. I had my boyfriend over later that evening, and as we approached the house, he said, Hey, your window is open. I looked, and the room to the sticking door was wide open. I told him what i had experienced the night before, and he helped me check out the house, and after finding nothing, I closed the door and locked the windows. I figured that it must have been a hobo and once they realized somebody lived there they must have left. I still stayed there that night but I didn't take sleeping pills and boy am I grateful that I didn't because I awoke to the door opening again and this time I knew that it was real. They knew somebody lived here but they had still returned which meant that this situation was getting pretty dangerous. At this time in my life, I had little value for my life and I had no fear of death because I knew where I'd go. I decided too that I wasn't going to hide in my own house, so I got my baseball bat, turned on the lights, and I marched straight upstairs. I yelled something like, listen buddy, I'm coming up, be out by the time that I get there. I heard nothing and prepared for the worst. I checked the rooms and the closets, but when I did, I found nothing and all the windows were closed. I checked down the stairs and found nothing as well. I felt pretty silly after finding nothing but I still stayed up that night. I got ready for school the next morning and I saw that the window was open again. It occurred to me too that I hadn't checked under the beds when I'd done the search. I didn't have my bat with me and so I bailed. But to think that an intruder was possibly hiding under the bed as I searched the house is really unnerving to say the least. I am partially relieved though that I hadn't checked. If I'd been down and come face to face with a man beneath my bed, I mean the story may have ended very differently. So. Something really disturbing has started to happen after a joke me and my significant other started. A while back, about a week or two ago I think, my other half was in the kitchen making dinner for us and I jokingly but in a very unusual way said yum yum as I looked at what she was making. Then, about um, a day or two later, I think it happened. So... My other half was in the room changing and comes out of the bedroom laughing saying stop it babe it's so creepy and not funny anymore and I'm a little bit confused. I had just gotten out of the shower for the morning and was focused on brushing my teeth. I didn't respond and she smiles and laughs and says the yum yum thing it's not funny babe it's gross and weird. I explain that I didn't do anything and they say jokingly this is all in good spirit mind you that's I'm totally full of crap. Well, today it happened again, but this time I heard it too. It's not right and it's scary and we're freaking out. It was in our bedroom, yum yum again, and it sounds just like me. Now, there is some deep history to our house, Ouija boards and past murders before we moved in and such, but This is new and it's beyond explaining just how unsettling this is. I'll update too if we maybe can get some audio of it or something, but for now, do any of you guys have any ideas of what this is and what we can do about it? I've been thinking about this experience a lot lately and I need to get it off my chest. So... I was headed to my little sister's dance competition downtown all by myself. I was a sophomore or junior in high school when this happened and I was new to driving. My parents had turned off my data as a form of punishment for god knows what. I wasn't able to use a GPS, so I couldn't text or call anyone. I had never been to the building that my sister and the rest of my family were at. It was slightly raining and it was nighttime. It was already notably a bad night but It was about to get a lot worse so I was driving all around downtown in what felt like circles I was frustrated and had no idea where I was then I go down a hill and I suddenly realize where I am I'm on a one-way road that gets onto a busy highway you merge immediately into a bridge that takes you to the other side of the river and now I'm really panicking I have no choice but to get onto the highway the road goes under the bridge it takes this turn to the right where it kind of loops left onto the highway to merge onto the right. I'm not sure if that makes total sense but basically you're under the highway and kind of turning. As I'm turning under the bridge my lights illuminate the curve ahead of me and that was when I see it. I see this person in a a black hood that looks like it goes to his feet holding a, a long stick just standing there motionless on the grass maybe 15 feet from the road. I remember screaming at a shock that someone was there but then out of fear and kind of disbelief. I quickly drove past it and I stared at it but I never saw a face. I merged onto the highway and drove super safely slightly convinced that I'd seen the grim reaper and was about to die I kept telling myself that, that wasn't what I saw. It was just a person. It was nothing. I imagined it all. But what I saw was immediately ingrained in my memory. Even now, I tell myself that, that maybe it was just a homeless person. But what was he wearing? And the stick? How he just stood there too. I, I'll never forget. Also, my city doesn't have a ton of homeless people and that highway area is closer to the river than they usually are. But anyway, I turned around in the neighboring town and when I crossed the river, eventually I found where my sister's dance competition was and I didn't tell anyone what I saw. I've since told my family, but I don't think that they really took it too seriously. I spent the rest of the year with this fear in the back of my mind that I was going to die. It really affected me too. Still, when I think about it, I get really freaked out as well, thinking that maybe I dodged some fate that was meant for me that night. Who knows? G'day, mates. It's Beebuster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too.